And no matter whether you're talking to somebody in a fine dining restaurant in New York City or in a refugee camp in uh, South Sudan, there's a humanity that connects with food that's personal and that brings joy and that brings life. And I think if we can tap into that as we try and deal with these challenges we face in our food system around health, environment, all these issues, we can come from a perspective of opportunity into this rather than of deficit. And we then can start developing those solutions that we need. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Sustainable development is being pursued all over the world and by segments of the food industry that we don't necessarily think of of leading the charge. And, And now I'm talking about leadership that's taking place among chefs. And my guest today is coordinating that effort, coordinating the Chef's Manifesto, Paul Noonan. Uh, Paul, welcome to Farm to Table Talk again. We talked before on some other issues, but we didn't get a chance to dig into the Chef's Manifesto. So, so welcome and explain what is Chef's Manifesto too. Well, thank you, Roger. It's so great to be with you again and, and to be able to share a little bit more about some of the work that we're doing around the world to really drive forward um, a contribution from different communities to the Sustainable Development Goals, which are essentially the UN's agenda for um, each, that each country in the world signed on to to achieve by 2030. And this is 17 goals which have targets below them around uh, how we deal with some of the biggest challenges we face. And in order to do that, the real key is that we need everyone everywhere involved. And the food system, as we know, it has the power to really drive change on so many different levels across all 17 goals. And when we talk about food, often we start at the farm. We start with farmers. Uh, We start with then the people that engage with food all through the chain. Um, and, and chefs are an interesting group in that, um, that, that chain and that, that part of the system. Chefs are the, the kind of conduit between the produce and then the eater or the consumer. Um, and so chefs sit at this crucial point where they take ingredients and then they put them together onto a plate, into a bowl, and they create dishes which connect to our culture, that connect to um, our traditions, and that then create deliciousness, flavor, enjoyment, celebration um, around the world. And so we work, uh, the Chef's Manifesto was created by Chefs for Chefs, um, where we brought together chefs from around the world in uh, initially from 35 countries, and we've now grown the network to uh, over 90 countries, um, to look at how the chefs and the work in a kitchen um, and the work around a kitchen contribute to this sustainable development agenda in order to actually help drive progress. And when you think about that, you think, oh, they're just putting food together, but they're also making choices about the ingredients they use. They can have an influence on the nutritional um, elements within that. They can think about the waste streams. They can think about the education. They can think about the livelihoods of both the farmers, the staff in the restaurants, all of these kinds of elements. And so there's all these levers that as a chef, 
can be used. And I think the biggest lever compared to others is they also have the lever of taste. And taste is, a, is one of our senses, which, which is so personal to every person, but it enables us to connect, to be able to experience in a different way. And I think this is really critical if we're going to drive forward change around sustainable development. Oh, it's, it's such a broad, broad area. And I really, uh, I, I, when you start talking about it, you want to get everyone everywhere involved, it makes sense to me that chefs are opinion leaders. And when they start doing something, they've got people write about it. They've got influential people come to the restaurant. And so if they know a chef has a good story, is doing the right thing, believes in these things, I'm sure it has impact. Uh, so tell me. I mean, how do you get your arms around the whole world like this? How do you reach out and touch chefs all over and on your way to 90 different countries that would be in, engaged with that? It, I don't even know where to start, Paul. Yeah. So I suppose what we did was um, obviously there's a lot of different experiences that we've had around how do you develop and, and drive change at a global level? And I think the first part of that is to think about the, the fact that each context is actually unique. Each kitchen is unique. And so you can't do this in a universality. You've got to look at um, coming up with guidelines which are able to be adapted and nuanced for the location. And so what we did was we really acknowledged that and embraced it. We em embraced the complexity. And we said, you know what, we can't tell people you just need to do these five things. What we have to do is we need to say, here's a set of areas in which we need to focus. And not everyone's going to focus on every part of that, but what you all need to do is, is focus on one part of that at least and then think about how that connects and it contributes to the whole. And so what we did was build a framework of actions which are, are able to be applied around the world. They're not, um, they're, they're kind of directions of travel rather than um, directives. So they're more like saying we should move towards this. We should move towards understanding our ingredients more. We should move towards building more nutrition. We should move towards more climate-friendly um, produce. We should move towards, you know, these kinds of things and ask these questions, educate people in this way. So by doing that, what you do is you open things up rather than close things down. And then we created a, a tool book. Uh, it's like a guidebook and, it, and, and the Chef's Manifesto and it's basically got these actions. And so it's like a workbook chefs can take and they can then, wherever they are in the world, pull that out and look at it and go, okay, here's some ideas and here's some examples of what others are doing, of what is in here. And then they can say, well, in our kitchen, we're focused on these areas, but what about these areas? So it's, it's almost like a self-led framework that then connects to a broader community in which they can then contribute and have their unique contribution um, validated, challenged, engaged with um, as part of that network. You know, I went on your website, which we got a plug right now, and, and I thought it was so well done because this could be a very complex area, but I thought it was so straightforward the way you identified what are the areas they could be involved with. And then you had examples of how you could do that. And it, and it, was, it seemed simple in a way, but I, I looked at it and thought, oh, I get it. I can see how you can go down this list and then just say, well, wait a minute. Okay, but how do I do things like this? And then said, well, here's an example. And, and before we go much further on that, let's, let's mention that website right now for people that could 
yeah, up, so, see what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I, if you go to chefsmanifesto.com um, and have a look, and we're also on Instagram, we have a great Instagram channel at Chef's Manifesto. And um, on both, we try and share not only the framework, but also examples, really practical examples from, from recipes to dialogues with chefs um, to even, you know, posts that just having, you know, different conversations around ingredients, around different science, and try and put it in a, a digestible way for chefs to then be able to make up their own decisions and to be able to then apply that in the locations they're in. You know, it, it is so well done. Uh, let's give people a few examples, though. Let's pick some of these goals, some of these areas, and explain what they are, and then we can, you know, maybe give an example of how a chef might be able to implement that idea. Yeah, so, I mean, one of them is is to really celebrate biodiversity um, and the ingredients and, and really protect the world's larder. And so it's about, like, chefs then looking at alternate ingredients, looking at ingredients that are out there that can be supplemented, saying, how do we use ingredients which are more diverse, different varieties? So in, in within our food system, um, we consume, we get 60% of all calories from four crops. Um, and there's 150 foods that make up the majority of the diet in the world, yet we have 30,000 edible plants. So how do chefs think about biodiversity, think within even crops? Like in a crop like wheat, there's so many variants. In a crop like potatoes, so many variants, yet we tend to use just very few. And so you can go within a species, but then you can go across species. How do we use things like millets instead of, you know, other grains? Like rice uses huge amount of water whereas millet is very drought tolerant and it's more nutritious. But people feel millets are often like poor people's food and so they preference white rice. So it's like how does the chef bring those varieties into dishes, into the way that they do it? Food waste is another one. How do you think about using the whole plant? How do you think creatively around doing that? And we've got chefs that have done that in really interesting ways just through experimentation. You know, a lot of our chefs would say wasting, you know, food waste is lost profit, it's lost money. And so, you know, it's like, if you don't use the whole of the vegetable, you're throwing profit and ingredients down the, into, the, into the trash. So, you know, it's how do we do that? What does that look like? How do you use skins, peels? How do you, you, you know, use the whole, the leaves of different vegetables that often get discarded? and then create value out of them, not only nutritious value for people, not only climate impacts through not, you know, wasting that food, but also, um, you know, benefits uh, for your bottom line. Um, and then you've got all these other areas, Roger, I could go on and on, but, you know, so many ways that chefs can make choices which educate and shift not only the nutritious, you know, nutritious element of the food, but also um, the, the, the climate and planetary elements too. Well, let's talk about the climate for a minute, because even though I think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying to have the diversity and you could use millet, you could use all these other kind of grains rather than just four basic staple crops that, that we you know build the whole yeah. diet of the planet on. But all of these other use fossil fuels per chance um, can possibly be doing too much cultivation and so forth. How are you able to get the chefs to pay attention to whether or not it's climate friendly or what the carbon footprints might be of what it, what it is they're using in the restaurant? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. What we tend to do is we try and bring in the latest science that comes from around the world. And so we get the scientists to help 
digest, we kind of pull that science and then present it to the chefs and say, you make decisions. That, that translates into all kinds of ways. So chefs are looking at, for, for example, soil and looking at how do we um, capture carbon into soil. So things like composting, looking at different elements, different types of farming. Um, so, you know, no-till, um, different technologies. There's lots of different uh, out outputs out there, but thinking about in their farming, how do they do that? Um, and working with farmers that are, are looking at climate-friendly approaches to farming, that can be also using, you know, lower water inputs, lower um all kinds of different things you then also have um in terms of in terms of certain foods have higher kind of uh climate uh costs to them in terms of emissions in all of these kinds of things and so it's looking at um how do you promote more climate friendly um solutions and in di different parts of the world that looks very differently you know there can be different technologies so you know, the classic one that comes up often is around animal-based proteins, and particularly cattle. Um, and you, we've, we, we've had conversations with different uh, groups in, from the farming space which show, you know, you should move all the way to plant-based alternatives, but then we've also had others say the best way to capture carbon is through the right kinds of um, cattle grazing. And, you know, you know, we've worked with people like Patrick Holden and Sustainable Food Trust, which talk about, you know, those kinds of um, different different kinds of uh, sustainable practices. So you've got kind of all of these different things. We present that and have that conversation and the chefs then have to make decisions. And so there's choices they can then make in the kinds of products that they, they utilise, in the quantities of those products. So shifting sometimes quantity in a dish can be a big difference. Like if you use something that's a 600 grams of a particular protein on a plate, that maybe has a higher carbon footprint, you can shift that downward to a smaller amount and you can increase something that has a better cut. So there's like different tools for chefs to be able to make a difference. And then shifting alternates, you know, as I mentioned about say, using crops like different types of millets, sorghums, um, uh, funios, different crops like this, which use very little water, but that have a higher nutritional uh, benefit. And so you get this kind of, plus end. You know, chefs are just so busy. I, I've known many chefs over the years, and I'm trying to envision how you can add another program to them. I mean, how do you even, you know, get in front of some of these chefs now? Uh, because again, they're just swamped. It's an extremely difficult, busy, demanding job, and you're coming in with other things that they could be doing. How do you get their attention and what makes you successful in getting people to sign on? So I think chefs ultimately, um, they are incredibly busy and they're running businesses. But I think what's changing in the world is that people who are eating are being more discerning. They're asking more questions about where their food comes from. They're being more educated about where their food comes from. And so they're also looking for more clarity, more stories, more guidance around food choices. And so as they do that, chefs are a natural person that they trust and that they go to for that advice. If you look at social media, you'll see huge amounts of chefs who are big influencers on the television. Whenever you turn the TV on, you'll see lots of shows about chefs, about food. And so food is something that like fashion, like music, that people spend a lot of time kind of wanting to understand um, wanting to learn about. And chefs are the guides in that process. And so, yes, they are busy, but this is also about 
how they be successful in, in engaging and connecting with their customer bases, in how they drive profitability, in how they drive impact. And so chefs are really drawn to a network of peers that are looking at that at a global level and saying, how do we learn? How do we give back? What do we do in order to do that? And so this is a real value add. And so some of these kind of techniques, some of these conversations are becoming where the, the sector, the industry is heading. You know, if you look at the, the corporate catering space, there's a huge pressure on, on dropping down carbon impacts, improving workers' productivity, improving workers' health. And so when food is such a contributor to that, that becomes a real focus. Um, then fine dining, you've got the same huge interest in different uh, cuisines, different culture, different ways of differentiating. So you find it there. Um, and then you find online entertainment. There's huge amounts where food has become, you know, the rock and roll. It's the, it's the place where people want that experience. And so if you look at all these different sectors, you do see chefs that are really thinking about the impact of the ingredients the impact on people, the impact on planet, and really cutting through and bringing a whole new narrative and way of uh, focusing. So is part of the challenge then, Paul, to help them get a little credit for what they're doing? I mean, if they're doing these things, that has to start off with somebody yes. that cares, and they think, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. But ultimately, they're running businesses. And yes. so they, they want people to also come to the restaurants and uh, because they're doing some of these things, it, do you translate that for them, what this might mean and how they might communicate what they're doing to customers? Yes. So um, really that's part of why the Chef's Manifesto is there. A lot of chefs have been doing some of this work long before we came along. What we've done is help put language that connects to a global framework that the UN is leading that helps to give a way of explaining and connecting and elevating the work that they do onto the global stage. And so that then gives them a, a way of, of, of focusing and showcasing that work, which is then gives credibility to it, which then helps it be recognised for what it is and helps it to become more valued. So do they? Uh, do you give them suggestions on graphics that they can use or, or news releases or, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of chefs, we do a lot of, we have a lot of chefs that speak at different global events. We, mm. we do dinners. Um, a lot of chefs very proudly wear like a, a patch on their jacket. They wear badges that recognize that they're connected to this network. They build that into their descriptions of who they are and what they're working on. And so there's like almost like a fraternity of sorts that is like a network of, of chefs saying, we're all in this, we're, we see the role that we bring. And we want that to be validated, but we also want to be pushed to drive that change in the practice that we bring. You know, Paul, I have people listening to this that um, I got a lot of eaters. Everybody's an eater that listens to this. But well, I've got some chefs. I've got some farmers. You know, I've got people around the world. Uh, if, you know, how do we is the best way for them, say, if it's a chef that's listening to this and they say, hey, I want to know more about this. What do they do? And then we're going to ask about the consumers too. How do they find out whether restaurants that they're interested in are tied in or not too? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you're a chef out there, I would go to chefsmanifesto.com. You can join up. The, the, the easiest way to join up is you, you just sign up online and then you'll get a monthly newsletter from us that tells you 
shares some ideas of what's happening around the world, gives you a bit of a frame. You can then pull down the, the, the manifesto and look at it. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to make this hard. You're already busy. So the idea is, is to give you this framework and to have a look at it. And you might have time to get really involved and then you could get involved in contributing recipes, um, organising events locally, all kinds of elements. And we have chefs creating content, creating storytelling, um, or we've got chefs that are kind of, you know, keeping an eye on things. You know, they're a part of the network, but they're doing their own thing locally and that's great. So I would say that's the, the the main thing is get on, join up, be a part of the conversation, and that's the, always the first starting point. For, for the eaters or the consumers, I would say, you know, it's really asking your chef, you know. So when I go to a restaurant, I always ask, you know, who's the chef? And I say, I'd love to meet the chef. And you by bringing the chef from the kitchen to the dining table, what you do is you kind of go, what are you passionate about? Tell me what. I've, I've, I go to often to restaurants and they say, what do you want to eat? And I go, well, what's the chef suggest? Yeah. Because the chef then is proud of it. And, and so I think there's a certain element where we've got to bring the chef out and, and almost drill them a little bit. Like say, where do you get your produce from? Now, I mean, some people take that to the extreme and I know there's some some great TV shows which take that to the extreme, which, you yeah. know, where's that chicken from and what, what name can we go and visit it and all this kind of stuff, which I think maybe takes it a little too far. But, you know, you can kind of go, hey, you know, where do you, where do you get your produce from? What kind of, what are you thinking about when you think about that? What farms do you work with? You know, and you can start to kind of ask some questions. Now you do that at McDonald's, it's going to be a bit challenging. The guy behind the counter or girl might be looking at you a bit strange, but I know even some of the big players, um, even on the, 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 the fast food sides are starting to think about this stuff and, and, and work out how to talk about it because this matters. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it's such a good point. And, and asking the questions, too, because not all restaurants put a lot of information on the menu. Some of them pride themselves on having very simple menus and they want they know people uh, are interested, but they don't put a long story in there. And, and I think the missed opportunity at those restaurants is that they don't test the waitstaff who have often been out and toured the farms and know the farmers and know a story. But people are, I guess, maybe self-conscious about asking them a lot of questions. But uh, but they should do just what you said and try and ask and see see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think this is really key because what it does is it puts respect to the food. You know, the farmers have really invested in growing that food. And so when you ask about it, you're also acknowledging their, their efforts, but you're also bringing value to their efforts. And I think, you know, this is really important. I think... It's, it, it also helps you enjoy the meal. When you know more about a story of like how did something come about or where is it from, it helps you to actually, food is so much more than just shoveling it into your, your mouth. It's actually the experience of food. And food is something we should be celebrating. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that lots of energy and lots of effort goes into. And so for me, this is where, you know, chefs play a role, it really opening that conversation up for us. One other important partner in all this is the farmers themselves. And so if farmers listening to this and they've got uh, meat they're producing or they've got produce they're producing or something and they, and they want to try to find chefs that they would like to be able to tie into, is there, is there a way if you're listening to this and you're a farmer, you want to supply chefs, how do you find chefs and restaurants that are committed and try to become a supplier to them? 
Yeah, this is a uh, this is starting to happen more and more, and we've found this particularly even during COVID when restaurants were really under pressure and closing down. Many many farmers started to reach out and say, "How do we keep these restaurants open? What does that even look like? You know, um, and how do we we provide locally?" And I think you know the reality is at a global level that's very difficult because the system is very you know localized in many parts of the world. And so I'd say on, you know, if you're a farmer in your region, it's go go to the local restaurants and, and introduce yourself. Um, have a conversation with the chefs and say, this is what I produce. I'd love you to come and check out my farm. Um, I'd love to see what you guys are doing in your kitchen. How do we partner? What does that look like? Um, and I think, you know, I was with the president of the World Farmers um, Organization just last week, and we were talking just about this. He's in South Africa, and he was talking just, about produce that goes from his farm and it goes past his house, like past his farm to the city and then gets brought back to be sold in his community. And he's like, this is just crazy. How do I connect more locally with my local providers? Um, and, and we were talking and brainstorming that. And I think that's, it's, there's no easy universal way, Roger, but I think conversation is the, the, the starting point. And we all have to eat. So when you go and eat, build, make some extra time and go and chat to the chef in the kitchen. You know, there's got to be some people that are saying, I wish I had Paul's job. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's pretty demanding, but uh, how did you find yourself doing this? This, It's such an important area you're involved with. And uh, what got you into this? What were you doing before you did this? And and, uh, how did that journey happen? I mean, I've always had a, a huge interest. I've always cooked myself a lot. I've also been an avid gardener. So I've been very involved on the different edges of the food system. But I've worked mainly in trying to solve international development issues around food security, around you know nutrition, and how do you do that? And what I found was that a lot of those conversations, they tend to go to a, a conversation of calories, of, um, of need, they, they don't celebrate the conversation of food and what the vision is that we have where everyone has enough food to be able to enjoy. You know, it's this idea of good food for all and, and this idea of how do you create, what does good food look like? It means where everyone has food that they can enjoy, their favourite kind of foods, um, everyone gets the nutrients they need um, and there's a level of equity in that. And so as, a, as we started to look at that, we said, you know, we've got to really think about this conversation and start to bring in people who are trying to solve the problem um, through different ways rather than just seeing it as this kind of need problem, this deficit, see it as a, an opportunity, as a vision of the future and a vision that people go, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And so when we talk about, you know, we, we, we bring chefs into that conversation as, as problem solvers as well to say, how do we build, you know, nutritious, accessible and affordable food for all? Um, How do we look at the issues around um, biodiversity loss? How do we look at the issues around climate impacts and and build menus and build joy into the plate in a different way? And so that's kind of how I started was working on the problem from the other side for a good 20 years, actually. And I, I kind of just realized, you know, what if we flip it? And sometimes when you come to a problem and you flip problems, you find solutions. Because I found when I went to a refugee camp to where, where people really didn't have a lot, you could start talking to them and say, what's your favorite food? What do you enjoy eating when you can? What would you celebrate? Like, what would you go and get now? Even if they don't even have a meal, like they're hungry. 
yeah. they would their face would light up and they'd start talking about what they would eat at the time of harvest and how they would come together and how would you cook it and you and 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 no matter whether you're talking to somebody in a fine dining restaurant in New York City or in a refugee camp in uh, South Sudan there's a humanity that connects with food that's personal and that brings joy and that brings life and i think if we can tap into that as we try and deal with these these challenges we face in our food system around health environment all these issues we 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 can we can come from a perspective of opportunity into this rather than of deficit and we then can start developing those solutions that we need Oh, you know, you said that so well, and you were making me remember things, experiences I've had that I'll remember forever. And it's been when I visited a farm and they had me in to eat with them and uh, or when I've been in a small village and in China, when I was in Africa for some things and and you break bread with people and you find uh, and you never forget that experience. And And like you, a few times I've been in chef's kitchens where they invite me back into the kitchen and I sit down and they just bring me things to try that they're while they're making them. And, uh, yeah. and you never forget those experiences. Uh, what a time to care about how it was grown, know about the farmer, know these practices, know about all these other points that you're covering. Uh, I think that's genius, Paul. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a great community to be working with, but there's a huge amount to do Roger. So I'm, I'm, incredibly um, ambitious to see change. Um, and so to me, even though we're, we've got a good conversation going, we still need to do more. And it feels like it's still scratching the surface. You know, we need to really bring in more and more people to really see that the daily choices they make around food actually make a difference. And so how can we all join around that? How can we, every conversation that you have, like what you just said about every time you sit and gather around a meal is a choice around how we drive people's livelihoods, about how we impact the planet, impact our health. And this is something, but we can do it in such a way that's super enjoyable as well, that brings life, that, that, that isn't like having your own, having medicine, you know, it's not like something that needs to be um, challenging. It can be something that's seen as a massive opportunity. And I think this is really key. You know, I have an idea, Paul. Uh, we're getting into a time again where people are getting back out again, going to meetings in person again. And in fact, there's conferences going on all over the world from here on out, from COP26 to others. Right. And they are actually back to having meals. I'd like to see when these events start taking place again. There's a big deal made at all of them. If they're having a, every country in the world is going to have a conversation about food system things of yeah. this or that. And it seems like that's an opportunity to bring the chef out of the kitchen, explain what everybody's having, and and connect the story why these influencers are breaking bread together. I mean, this is definitely what we're working on. I mean, at COP, I've been talking very closely with the catering company that has the main venue for COP. And they're a part of the Chef's Manifesto and they've been looking at and they've made a net zero commitment for their catering outfit. And they've thought very hard about what does that look like and how do they make choices? How do they be creative? So they're, you know, they've increased certain options around things that are more plant-based, but they haven't got rid of all of their animal-based proteins. They've just shifted the way they view it. So they're using like venison that's farmed in Scotland that's almost seen as a pest or in Scotland. And they've done different things to really think about 
how do they drive that? And I think this is where that creativity brings another layer to meetings. It brings another layer to these gatherings, as you say, Roger, which then helps to also get an integrity between what's being talked about and what's being um, eaten or consumed and demonstrated at those venues. So I think that's really key. You know, I've been to conferences before talking about food and then you go out into the um the catering and it's got nothing to do with what you're talking about. You're talking about driving health and nutrition. And then you go out and the food is like really not healthy or nutritious or showcasing farmers or showcasing the, you know, solutions. And then I've seen places where they've done the opposite, where there's an integration between the storytelling that happens right from the, the time you walk through those doors. And that then has a major impact on how you walk away from that meeting. Yeah, yeah. And and I keep trying to get engaged over the years whenever I'm in sessions, trying to give some nudges and trying to reach chefs and so forth. And and um, I'm also that pain in the neck that I'm the one that when they bring out the big plate of cookies for everybody for an afternoon, uh, the afternoon break, I make them go chase down pitchers of milk because I just can't have cookies without milk. But the dairy farmers don't always do that as well. But there's so many opportunities every place that when we're when we're coming back, when people are going to be in person again, um, find a way that that's just a part of every meal um, of those kind of sessions. Anyway, you got me going on this one. I think that. No, it's great. <laughs> I, I wonder if there is a way to kind of um, say to the meeting planners, say like the association management uh, groups and those kind of people that are all over the world and organizing conferences again, and they're going back into the conference centers again, make sure that that's uh, one of the things is almost mandatory is uh, have somebody out come out from the kitchen and tell the story of, of the food and what they're doing and how they're engaged with Chef's Manifesto. Yeah, no, I mean, that would be great. Let's Let's see what we can do on that, Roger. Let's do, and I'll tell you what, I'll make you an offer right here in the midst of the podcast that you get one of those chefs. Call me anytime, and we'll we'll drop into uh, Clubhouse with them, and yeah. and whoever shows up can come together and say, okay, you know, Paul's in Dubai, and he's with this chef, and they just got done having this great meal, and here's the story behind the food, and here's how this chef is going with Chef's Manifesto. So, Yeah, we'll, no, I'd love we'll, to do that. We'll do that live. Well, I, I think you're on to something I'm really I'm really excited about what you're doing. Any final suggestions or observations that you would like to add before we wrap up this conversation? Um, look, I just would say, you know, we all have uh, choices we make each day. And so think about what's on your food. And I think ask questions, get involved, look at the plate. Say where did this come from, and 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 is this helping us as a as a is this helping me, my body, that in my from a health perspective, is this helping the planet that and the people that prepared it, whether that be in the kitchen or the farmers that grew the produce, and 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 try and make more positive directions in those choices. Um, or you know we're not going to do that every day, but even just start with one meal that's more. Um, better for you and better for the planet in some way. And, you know, that's something that I would say, I'd say talk to chefs and just really engage with them. And if you are a chef, think about how you can get involved in a community like the Chef's Manifesto as a way of kind of driving change. Hear that? It's not just an egg breaking. It's the world's best omelet. Maybe it's your grandma's favorite recipe a dinner party showstopper. 
Or perhaps it's just a snack when you're really, really hungry. It could be the meal that keeps a girl in school or the food that fuels a nation. And when it's farmed properly, that little egg could be the whole world's future. It's simple. Good food is everything. Join the conversation. Search UN Good Food for All. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.